Thank you, Adam. I'm always amazed at how God connects believers with his word and through his spirit. You know, today's scripture is only three verses long. Prior to um, you all arriving, the leadership meets in that room and we pray. Today, Adam prayed and it was though the first half of his prayer was my sermon. And today he got up and prayed a different prayer, which also mirrored my sermon. He hasn't seen my sermon. But the fact remains is we are linked to the scripture, just three verses. But he's already connected to the sermon by focusing on those three verses. And that goes for everything, the music, the communion, Something all of you as church body members should be discerning when you're in a church is that everything at the front of the room reflects God's word just as it is written. Whether you're in this church or another church, that should be your standard. And I'm so glad it's the standard here. With that, I'm very excited about a new Bible that the Lord recently purchased. blessed me with. On January 2nd, my wife Fleur had plans with her sister in the San Fernando Valley. I had planned to drive her there and then find a coffee shop to work at for the day. The only problem, however, I had forgotten my computer. I'm a planner, even a bit of a control freak when it comes to time management and organizing my life. I was really upset. Thankfully, though, When this sort of thing happens, that is when things don't go my way, I try to recall the words of a past Bible teacher I was blessed to learn from and serve under for nearly 20 years. He would often remind us at the study when things don't go our way, that the sovereign God of the universe clearly had different plans for us. As Psalm 139 reminds us, all of our days are ordained by God. And how looking at the speed bumps in life as God's intervention or change in direction for us at any given moment can not only help us when things don't go our way, but when we acknowledge the truth of who, Proverbs 20, 24 also tells us, has even ordained all of our steps. We are honoring him. We are celebrating the fact that regardless of our planning for each moment of every day, God is the director. And embracing this truth is a way to praise him and thank him as we place our faith in him, trust him, and find comfort in his outstretched hand when things don't go our way. Yes, easier said than done. But I decided begrudgingly, I was going to go with it. I decided to go walk around the Topanga Westfield Shopping Center. Admittedly, this was relaxing and would prove to be very profitable. I walked around the entire place. It's amazing. The mall has almost 
anything and everything you can ever imagine purchasing or coveting, depending on your bank account, including a Tesla. There's actually a walk-in Tesla shop with Teslas. The shopping center had nearly everything you could ever conceive of except for one thing, a bookstore. I wanted to find something to read, but books, I guess, are no longer profitable enough to warrant brick and mortar at the Westfield Topanga. So I googled bookstores in the area. I could only find one. One bookstore on the west side of the San Fernando Valley, which has a population of, according to censusreporter.com, of 1,838,599 people. But only one bookstore on the west side of the valley with nearly two million citizens. And it's not even a new bookstore. It's a used bookstore called Next Chapter Books. That's Next Chapter Books in Canoga Park on Sherman Way. I can't recommend visiting Next Chapter Books enough. I was curious, and as you know, I had the time. So I decided to go visit what appears to be the last bookstore on the west side of the San Fernando Valley. I was immediately greeted by a very proud owner. His name is Boyd. I only got his first name. I'll get his last name the next time I visit, which I will do. Boyd, a retired 30-year executive with great pride in his retirement business, proceeded to tell me exactly how every square inch of his bookstore was meticulously organized, including the back right corner being devoted to Christian studies. I was shocked to say the least. Once upon a time, there were a handful of Bible bookstores in both the San Fernando and Santa Clarita Valleys. Sadly, not anymore. On the top shelf was this beautiful Bible from 1859. The Bible, in very good condition, is 162 years old. Moments later, two other gentlemen, friends of Boyd, walked into the store and began speaking about the things of the Lord, of which the four of us bonded over. I could not help but think about the direction my day had gone. I wanted to find a coffee shop and bury myself in work. But the Lord, the Lord of all my days, and I will add all my steps, he had far better plans for me. Not only did he bless me with this marvelous piece of history, a 106-year-old copy of his story. But he also blessed me with a company of three other brothers, believers, who I would have not otherwise been in the company of and been so edified by had I remembered my computer. Brothers unified by God's word just as it is written. Listen to the verse. I discovered printed at the bottom of the introduction page of my new 162-year-old Bible. Listen to the Spirit's words boldly placed on the introduction page. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part in the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. This book, this living book, this active book, holds the words of God. 
His words breathed out onto the pages according to him, the author. The book is complete, complete with all that we need to know about him. So complete that Matthew 5.18 promises that every letter and every stroke of this book will be accomplished, just as it is written. As Boyd was ringing me up, he said something to me that I will never forget. He said, I can remember like it was yesterday. Years ago, my sister would always say, Christians should focus more on this book rather than books written about this book. I agree with Boyd's sister. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, you've got to read this book about Jesus written by so-and-so. No, I don't. <laughs> Echoing the wisdom of Boyd's sister, the best book to read about Jesus is the book that Jesus wrote about himself. In preparation for today's message, I was drawn to a line from Matthew 26, 24, where the Spirit's words Tell us, the Son of Man is to go just as it is written. The credibility and truth of our claims to faith in Christ depend on this book being true, just as it is written. And the only way we can know this is by studying it and knowing it just as it is written. Just as it is written. Think about the gravity of just these five words just as it is written. And these words don't just apply to Matthew 26, 24, but the entire Bible must be studied, believed, taught, and held up just as it is written. Because the entire book is the prophecy and arrival of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Today's passage is a reminder of the importance of searching Seeking, inquiring, knowing, embracing, and keeping his living and active words, just as it is written. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? And turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1.10. 1 please read along with me. Verses 10 through 12. This is the word of God, just as it is written, starting in verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look into. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, saving Lord Christ, spirit of truth and life, giver of faith to believe, understand, and keep your words. You intercede for us with utterances too deep for understanding, but you have also blessed us with the exact words you do want us to own by placing them in our hands. And for those who respond to your call with repentance and belief in your gospel, you wash, 
regenerate, renew, seal, and secure for eternity with your Holy Spirit who helps us, teaches us, and guides us through the words he has written and enables us to keep them, to act on them with our lives so that we may be living testimonies of the gospel made known only by you, Holy Spirit. And not only through accurately handled and uncompromising words of scripture, but through living spirit-transformed lives. Something your words tell us that even your angels are envious of. How amazing your grace is. You, Holy Spirit, bring the gospel to life in your sheep by transforming our lives to reflect the image of the only one by which we must be saved, you, Christ Jesus. And we know this to be true only by your spirit and your words, resulting in worldly lives miraculously changed into gospel-testifying lives that seek not to serve ourselves, but you, Lord, like you in the service of others for your glory and honor. And it is for this we pray, we praise you, we thank you, we petition you. Even now, as people in power around the world who claim to represent you, boldly make decrees in your name that are contrary to your words as written. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, author of the words we uphold as true, living, and active, that you give each of us here at Church of the Canyons the ability and desire to read, hear, speak, and keep your words just as written. In your name, Jesus, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, the great almighty, the alpha and the omega, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, it is my hope that we will all be encouraged and motivated more than ever to study, know, and keep God's word just as it is written. With this considered, this morning, we'll lift up the words of prophecy, the author of the words, and the resulting gospel transformation. I'm very thankful for the way the Lord has guided us through our study of 1 Peter thus far. Now as I speak, I request that you all pray for me in your hearts that my words will honor God as we continue forward in this wonderful book with, I pray, the same accuracy and integrity as my fellow elders. Matt started our study with verses 1 and 2, and in doing so, introduced us to the writer, Peter. Note, I said writer, not author. God is the author. Peter is blessed to be a servant. Peter was not only a regular guy, but infamous for denying Christ three times. As I've stated in the past, speaker credibility is important. I can't think of anyone who could speak more credibly to the transformative work of Christ through his words of scripture combined with the gift of his Holy Spirit than the very person who denied Christ three times. Just as Christ said he would. But by grace, the same denier of Christ, a sinner just like the rest of us, would by grace, be saved by Christ and become a writer for Christ and honored to serve his church and be blessed by the Spirit to help teach us all. Moving on to verses 3 and 4, the big takeaway shared with us by Fred was that our hope is not in a principle. 
It's in a person. Again, our hope is not in a principle. That is to say the clever words of someone neatly packaged, but rather it's in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. He is our hope to which we are to cling to, look to, and follow, which is why we call him Lord. If you want a great and practical example of someone hoping in the person of God, look at Psalm 139. Better yet, memorize it. Then Chris took us from verses 5 to 9. Chris asked us two rhetorical questions. One, what is faith? And two, how do I use it? Faith is believing in what we cannot see, that being Christ, who gives and produces in us a joy only possible with eternal perspective. That is eternal hope in his death and his resurrection, just as it is written. And this should influence every aspect of our lives. Or as our guest pastor, Matthew Heller, said last week, if you understand the value of your salvation, which is your faith, it will affect you every day. Which brings us back to Chris's second question. How do we use this faith? Praise, glory, and honor at the revelation just as it is written of Jesus Christ. Now it's my turn. Our preaching schedule has me privileged to share verses 10 through 12. And look at how it begins. As to this salvation. As to this salvation. It's as if to say, how do we even know all of this salvation stuff is even true? That is the revelation, the story of Christ we claim as Savior, Lord God. Because his words and spirit tell us so. I'm going to repeat this question a little differently. How do we know the gospel is even true? Because his words and spirit tell us so. And if you are truly saved, it's because you know his story and his spirit has transformed your heart, mind, and soul to believe it and live it. And these are not my words. They're his. Please look at your Bible and follow along again as I read 1 Peter 1.10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Just as it is written, the Spirit's words were and are to be studied and known for their truth. The prophets of the Old Testament, directed by the Holy Spirit, did this for us with careful searches and inquiries. And through them, God breathed out words that would prove to be true. Please turn to Isaiah 52, verse 13. Isaiah 52, verse 13. I love to return to the book of Isaiah whenever it pertains to a passage that I've been privileged to teach. Isaiah is the greatest proof text for the future one to come. That is Christ. 
If you have not marked this place in your Bible as a frequent go-to foundational support for your faith, I really encourage you to do so. Please read along with me Isaiah 52 verse 13 through Isaiah 53 verse 12. This promise of our Savior 700 plus years before his arrival. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Moving on to 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the long arm of the Lord been revealed? Let's pause here for a moment. Do you believe the message? Has the arm of the Lord, Christ, been revealed to you? Is his story prophesied in these words here, seven plus centuries before his birth, known to you and true to you? What about your life testifies to God that his message has been revealed to you and you believe it? Continuing in verse two, look and believe what was foretold about the savior to come. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of parched ground, he had no stately form or majesty that we should look at him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Let's pause again here for a moment. Can you think of anyone who hid their face from Christ? I'll give you a hint. He did it three times, just as it is written. In Matthew 26, 34, before the rooster crowed three times. How humbling for Peter. Must the prophecies of Christ revealed to be true and the grace that would forever define his life must be. And how thankful he must be. And I can say this as a sinner. My goodness, I'm sure thankful. Let's continue in verse four with the punishment that prophecy says Christ would and did endure for you and I. And I will add, Peter, surely, our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastening for our well-being and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. 
by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered him cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and his grave was assigned with a wicked man. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Just as Luke 170 reminds us regarding the prophecy of Christ, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. And remember, from earlier this morning, Matthew 26, 24, the son of man is to go just as it is written. And the son of man knew this. That is Jesus, which John 1:14 tells us is the word of God in the flesh. Just listen to what he tells his disciples in Luke, 20, in Luke 18, 31 through 34. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things, all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. And he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. I'm going to repeat that part. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. This is because it's all about God and his sovereign timing and planning. The author of the words, just as it is written. Please turn back to today's passage and join me in verse 11. That's 1 Peter 1.11. Please follow along as I read 1.11. Seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Just as it is written, the spirit, the author of the words, helps us within our hearts to understand and believe his words just as it is written. This requires humbly submitting to and listening to the author the Holy Spirit. The person and timing, the events of Christ and his delivery to the cross were his business to reveal accordingly. Currently on Wednesday nights, I'm blessed to spend time with some brothers and sisters studying the book of Revelation here at church. 
Um, by the way, you're all welcome. Module 1, 6.30, Wednesday nights. Currently, um, where was I? There are countless books and commentaries about the timing of God and his plans for revelation. However, I can with full certainty say that I know how the events of revelation will play out. And that is according to God's timing and planning. And I won't be able to figure it out. It's all up to him. And by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, Peter would also learn this and know it full well. Recalling Mark 8, 31 through 38. And Jesus, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And said, you do not have mind of the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter was thinking like a man. And doesn't that make sense? He was just a man, a sinful man. And therefore would not, could not acknowledge the capital T truth of scripture. Again, I quote Matthew 26, 24, the son of man is to go just as it is written. And by grace, this would become Peter's truth. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Peter would go from being called Satan by Christ and denying Christ three times to truly devoting his life to Christ. Another wonderful example of a life transformed is Paul, once a proud murderer of Christians, would become perhaps the boldest testimony for the enabling power and truth of the Spirit's transformative power in believers. Listen to Romans 8, 9 through 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Because of the Holy Spirit, both Peter and Paul would come to know the truth of prophecy and its fulfillment, as noted in Acts 3.18. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So what does this truth mean to us? What does this truth mean to you? What does it mean to you that God authored these words and you can't fully accept them or even understand them 
without his help. Well, Peter, once called Satan and three-time denier of Christ, shares the truth by grace he was blessed with. In Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's words also reflect the very first words of Jesus' earthly ministry. Listen to what Christ says in Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Notice here, Jesus does not say, ask me into your heart and you will be given a get out of jail free pass, aka a ticket to heaven. Sadly, salvation is sometimes neatly packaged in ways that don't reflect God's word as it is written. But Jesus, Jesus makes it very clear in Mark 1.15. What he commands us to do is to repent. That is to turn to him as God and acknowledge our sin and believe his words and be saved. No fanfare needed. No hand raising no walking to the front of the room. It's between you and the Lord. And you can do it right now if you've never done it. I encourage you to do so silently in your heart. No one can make you do it and you're not saved because your parents are. It's between you and the Lord. And when a person does accept Christ's invitation into his kingdom, he will instantly be sealed with the presence Holy Spirit, which results in new life, eternal hope, because of a life transformed because of his gospel. This also comes with some responsibility. Philippians 2.12 says, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Notice it doesn't say work for, because that would be earned, and that would, doesn't jive with grace. It says to work out. Work out. Simply put, that means to take Christ and his gift seriously. Well, how do we do this? Well, Galatians 5.16 gives us some great advice. We are to walk by the Spirit. And the only way you can walk by the Spirit is by engaging the Spirit through his word and through prayer and getting to know him in the fellowship of other believers just as it is written. And this leads to a transformed life, a gospel transformed life. Please look at your Bible and follow along as I read 1 Peter 1.12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels long to look. Just as it is written, the Spirit's words result in gospel testifying lives. And can you think of anything more important in a dark and broken world? 
two weeks ago, Chris told us that Peter at the time was writing for the Lord and he was addressing Christians under duress. How timely for us today these words are as our culture and world around us grows increasingly hostile towards God, his word, and his people. Every day here in the U.S., we are becoming more and more under duress. Thankfully, however, our citizenship is not in this world, but his heavenly kingdom. And because of this, we have immediate fellowship with his body, the true church, individuals as one who share in the gospel revealed, announced, and preached in the lives transformed by the Holy Spirit to serve one another. Which also means that we all have the responsibility, or I will say the privilege, of serving and fellowshipping within the body accordingly. Just as Ephesians 3.10 says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. Note, it does not say through a pastor, but through the church. Churches do need and are blessed to have pastors and teachers, but all true believers together make up the church. The body and the bride of Christ. And we are called to serve within the body accordingly. And only the gospel of Christ transforms us to do so. Last year, we were blessed to study Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, that believers are salt and light. Because salt is life-preserving. Light is life-giving. All members of God's church are to study, know, and keep God's word, the manifold wisdom of God, just as it is written, so that we can be the salt and light that he says we are as believers. This means knowing the words of prophecy, how they connect to the gospel we claim, knowing and accepting the author of the words as the ultimate source of our faith and how this results in gospel transformation, a life changed for the service of Christ and his body. On Friday, I was listening to one of my favorite pastor teachers on a podcast. A fellow listener had submitted a question. The man explained that he had been raised in the church, but over the years had neglected his faith. Now at 51 years, he wants to reconnect with his faith, the man said. He went on to say, I know I need to read my Bible, but can you recommend anything else that will help me reestablish my faith? Can you maybe recommend some books? Oh no, I thought to myself, here it comes. The podcast host is also a very accomplished author, truth be told, a celebrity in the Christian world. I was certain he was going to start laundry listing his books or maybe books written by other famous pastors and teachers. I was wrong, and I repent for assuming. The host of the podcast, I believe, gave the best answer possible. He said, I actually could recommend a bunch of books, but I'm not going to. You mentioned the Bible. I would say that the Bible needs to be your focus combined with fellowship with true believers. 
The Spirit commands us in Colossians 3.16 to let the words of Christ dwell richly within us. We can only do this by regularly engaging these words and listening to the Spirit. That means applying these words. And the best place to do this is in the company of other believers. And if this is limited to just Sundays, you're cheating yourself by not taking advantage of the manifold wisdom of God fully. Let's pray. Lord God, um, after thinking about your words, this is one of those times where I just feel at a loss and I'm tempted to just say, intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. But with that, I thank you for the words you've given us through prophecy. I thank you for shining the light on their truth. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, which helps us to understand and see things that are plainly there, but because we're sinners, we wouldn't understand and see things without your help. And I thank you so much for the body uh, of believers that we can also cling to, um, especially in times of duress, to be surrounded by, loved, lifted up, and fellowshipping with like-minded people. And when I say like-minded, I say unified in you, Christ.